Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases, to historic kidnapping, to gangsters, and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lees. On today's episode, we dive into the unsolved icebox murders. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible, for sponsoring this episode. If you're a fan of audiobooks of any kind of genre, you want to check out Audible today. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash Larry21. Get a free audiobook and free 30-day trial of Audible. And without further ado, let's dive right into today's story. In June 1965, Houston police received a call from Marvin Marlin, who explained he was becoming increasingly worried about his elderly aunt Edwin, Edwina Rogers and her husband Fred. Many days had passed without Marvin being able to get in contact with the couple. He had even gone to the house, but nobody answered the door. Having a bad feeling, Marvin hoped that the authorities would do a welfare check. The Houston police agreed, and on June 23rd at about 9 p.m., officers Charles Bullock and L.M. Barta headed to the Rogers residence, having no way of preparing for what they were about to find. As the officers arrived at at 815 Driscoll Street, they knocked on the door, but just like Marvin, received no answer and had to force their way into the home. While doing so, the officers noticed the first strange detail. Several flower pots had been stacked up against the back door, which explained why it was so difficult to open. Once inside, Marta headed upstairs while Bullock investigated the first floor. He noticed that Marvin had been right, saying that the Rogers were not the best housekeeper but a bit untidy house was nothing unusual or alarming. However, as soon as Bullock stepped into the kitchen, he knew something was not quite right. There was food molding on the table as if Fred and Edwin, Edwina had been suddenly forced to leave their dinner behind. And it was just, it was not just that. Officer Bullock had this unexplained feeling that he needed to look into the refrigerator. So he opened the door of the three x five icebox and discovered it was full of what he thought was butchered hog meat. Considering that the Rogers had seemingly been gone for several days, it was rather weird the refrigerator was stuffed with food. Bullock later recalled he was thinking at that moment how shameful it was that a whole bunch of good meat was going to waste. Then, just when he was about to close the door, Bullock glanced down at the vegetable drawer. To his horror, 
a pair of eyes were staring right back at him. Officer Bullock reacted to the horrifying sight just like anybody else would have done. He slammed the refrigerator door shut, then paused for a minute before reopening to confirm he really had seen a woman's head. There it still was in the vegetable drawer, and it did seem like a man's head had been stored in the other bin. While nothing had obviously been confirmed yet, Bullock was quite sure the missing couple had been found. When backup arrived, the contents of the icebox were examined more closely. In addition to the heads, the meat in the shells belonged to Fred Edwina Rogers. Their bodies had been dismembered and packed into the fridge by somebody who had taken their time and knew what they were doing. Autopsies concluded that Rogers had died three days earlier on June 20th, which was Father's Day. Edwina had been shot in the head execution style, while Fred was bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer. For one reason or another, the killer had also removed Fred's genitals and gouged out his eyes, making it seem like they may have had something personal against the older man or men in general. The police noted that the killer had spent a lot of time cleaning the house and getting rid of any signs of a crime, but there were still traces of blood left in the master bathroom. Most likely, the Rogers had been drained of blood in the bathtub before their bodies were chopped into pieces and their organs flushed down the toilet. Some remains were later found in the sewer system, but some parts were never recovered. In addition to the bathroom, there was only one other place in the house where investigators found blood. The keyhole of a bedroom. The specific bedroom belonged to a person the police desperately wanted to interview, but could not locate. The 43-year-old son, Charles Rogers. Charles was born in Houston, Texas on December 30th, 1921. He was far from an ordinary man. He studied for a while at Texas A&M University, but eventually dropped out and instead earned a bachelor's of science degree in nuclear physics at the University of Houston. Charles then went to serve in World War II as a U.S. Navy pilot and in the Office of Naval Intelligence before becoming a seismologist for Shell Oil for nearly a decade. Nobody could deny that Charles Rogers was also spoke, who also spoke seven languages, was a highly intelligent person, had talent in many different fields, and could have had a long and successful career. And yet, in 1957, he left his job without an explanation and began to live as a recluse in his parents' house. Strangely, even though Charlie was unemployed, he would leave home early morning, or every morning I should say, before his parents were awake and return after dark when they were back to sleep. Even many of their neighbors were unaware that Charles lived there. Most communication between parents and the son happened through paper notes he slipped under his bedroom door. Nobody really knew what Charles had been up to during the last eight years, and now nobody knew where he was. Definitely did not look good that Charles had vanished without a trace. It's the same time his parents were brutally murdered, especially as the police found a handsaw in his room. A nationwide search for Charles was launched after an arrest warrant was issued to him as an important witness for the crime. Since the authorities knew Charles had served as a pilot in World War II, they checked the local airfields, but nobody came forward saying they had seen a man matching Charles's description. After the escape with a plane theory did not yield results, the investigators had next to nothing to work with. There was no evidence, no trail to follow, no idea of where Charles could have gone. Soon, days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and months to years without any progress in the case. Somehow, Charles had disappeared, as if he never existed in the first place. 
Eventually, 10 years after the gruesome discovery in the Houston home, Charles was declared illegally dead. Charles' death, however, did not stop people from speculating about what happened between him and his parents. In 1992, author John Craig and Philip Rogers published a book called The Man on the Grassy Knoll, in which they introduced the theory that Charles Rogers was actually a CIA agent. According to the two, Charles was one of the so-called tramps spotted in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, shortly after the assassination of President Kennedy, along with the contract killer Charles Harrelson. Apparently, Charles Rogers had also met David Ferry, an alleged conspirator in the assassination in the mid-50s, after joining the Civil Air Patrol. A New Orleans district attorney, Jim Garrison, claims that David also knew Lee Harvey Oswald. It is true that the two men are portrayed in photographs, proving they were in the same Civil Air Patrol unit. But how close these men were, nobody knows for sure, especially because David himself has denied allegations of him having anything to do with the assassination plot. Still, this theory could explain why Charles behaved so strangely, and why he went out every morning despite not having a job. In their book, Craig and Rogers suggested that Fred and Edwina found out about the son's involvement in President Kennedy's death by reading Charles' diaries. Craig says that after the assassination, Charles disappeared for five months, and after he returned, his mother began to get suspicious about him. Apparently, Charles was getting calls at home non-stop. And sometime, his mother was taking messages for him. So after being exposed, Charles did not have any other choice than to kill his parents and flee to Guatemala. This theory, while very interesting, remains unproven with little to no evidence to support it. Another more likely explanation for the murders and Charles' disappearance came from forensic accountants and amateur sleuths Hugh and Martha Garnier in their 2003 book, The Icebox Murders. The couple began investigating the case back in 1997 and eventually came to the conclusion that Charles did kill his parents, but for a completely different reason. The couple say that Fred and, um, Fred and his wife were actually horrible parents who abused their son for years and defrauded Charles by forging his signature on property deeds. Allegedly, his mother took out loans on their house that Charles owned and used the money however she pleased, while Fred gambled and tormented their son otherwise. Eventually, Charles snapped on their constant emotional and physical abuse and butchered his parents. The special attention given to Fred's body could be explained by the grudge Charles felt for his father. According to the couple, shortly after the Icebox murders, a man looking like Charles was overheard asking about a job overseas. Following their investigation, Hugh and Martha suggested that Charles may have used his connections in the oil industry from his years working at the Shell Oil Company to escape to Mexico. The Garniers even say that Charles died long ago, claiming he was killed by a pickaxe lodged in his head after a wage dispute involving some miners in Honduras. It is totally possible that this couple is right and Charles Rogers killed his parents after years of abuse and started a new life somewhere else. But again, there is no evidence to support the claims and for that reason, the book, The Icebox Murders, has been called a work of fact-based fiction. Today, nearly 60 years have passed since the day Officer Bullock opened the icebox store at 1815 Driscoll Street and discovered the heads of Fred and Edwin Rogers. While many theories of what happened to them and their son have surfaced over the years, 
We still not, do not know for sure if Charles killed her parents, his parents, excuse me, and if he did, why and where did he go? Fortunately, after all this time, it's less likely that Icebox murders will remain one of Houston's most notorious unsolved cases, as at this point, Charles has almost certainly taken all the answers to his grave. Let us know your thoughts on this case in the comment section below. What do you think happened? And of course, give us a thumbs up if you like our videos, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps.